John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, is where we'll turn our attention to this morning. We've been talking about giving of ourselves, giving of that which God has blessed us with. And this may seem strange to some of you all, but I think it's very appropriate, and I really think it's one of the greatest areas of stewardship growth that we can have in our lives. And that is when we think about the influence that God has given us and how we use that influence for His glory and for our good. I think there's a challenge within this message for us to recognize that God has given us the influence, that He has called us to use that influence for the advancement of the kingdom, and that He holds us accountable for the influence that He has given us. I want to share that with you this morning. I want you to see these truths as we look at the Gospel of John. So we focus in on chapter 1. There beginning in verse 35, we pick up in this narrative. John has really declared for us that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the awaited one. And now he continues to declare. He, He declares it specifically to his disciples. Beginning in verse 35, it says again, The next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now, it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. Now again, we pick up in this narrative where John the Baptist has declared for so many individuals that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He had recognized that even in the previous day, and now as he comes to his own disciples, which we have identified as Andrew, and perhaps, perhaps John the Beloved, we're not told that specifically, but a lot of people would deduce that because John the Beloved was, well... He often left himself out when he was speaking. He would just talk about a disciple or, or, or maybe the beloved. Perhaps John the beloved. John the Baptist speaks to these two. And he declares once again the identity of Jesus. He says, this is the one. This is the Messiah. That is the Christ, the anointed one. This is the one that we've been waiting upon. Now again, these verses are filled with, with such rich substance. And we could take these verses in so many different ways, but I want to focus just for a moment on the response of Andrew. It says these disciples, they come to Jesus and they, I believe they spend the night with him. I believe they've spent some time with him. It says it was about the 10th hour, which if you look at the Jewish reckoning would have been about 4 p.m. when they came to him and they talked to him and they stayed with him. And the next morning, I want you to see how Andrew decided that he needed to go and talk to somebody else, specifically his brother, 
Simon. So let me give you this again. As we delve into this, I want you to see today that God has given us influence. You've heard me say throughout this series that God has given us every good gift, right? Every good gift comes from above. When we think of our resources, we think of our family members, we think of all the relationships we have, all those things are gifts from God. Let me say to you today that the influence he gives us is also a gift from him. God gives us influence. Here, Andrew has an influence. Andrew, the disciple of John the Baptist, hearing the testimony that Jesus is the Messiah, decides that he must go and he must find Simon. Now again, Simon is his what? His brother. It's very natural. If you found the Messiah, okay, think about this long-awaited individual that you were hoping would come and restore the kingdom. He would be the one who would throw off, according to their own mindsets, he would throw off the Roman rule. He'd be the new king like David or Solomon. And you've just found him. What are you going to do? You're going to want to tell somebody. You're going to want to go and tell the people that are closest to you. And Andrew goes that morning and he finds his brother. And he shares with him his discovery. How he had discovered that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, when we think about who we are, and we think about our influences, because some of you today are probably sitting here thinking, well, I don't have much of an influence. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not in certain positions, and I'm not in certain places and all of that. I don't have influence. Every individual sitting here in this congregation... Every individual sitting up in the gathering today, every individual has some type of influence. Yes, you do. You have an influence over somebody or with somebody. I guarantee you do. If you have one relationship, you have influence, right? There are about three of you. Wait, I'm proud of you. I'm struggling here and at least somebody came to my defense right here. We all have influences. We do. Andrew knew that he needed to go talk to Peter. Peter was his brother. He had an influence, obviously, with his family. And let me say to you, if there's no other influence you have, and I think there are probably many others, but if there's no other, you have an influence within your family dynamic. And you need to recognize that. And I need to recognize that. All of us need to recognize that there are influences we can have right within the home. Within family members. Especially as it relates to the kingdom of God. God gives us an opportunity within the family context, within the home, to be able to share this basic message that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Son of God, that we are able to proclaim that good news to our children, our grandchildren, to our brothers, our sisters, to our moms, our dads. We are able to proclaim that message. We have an influence. I love the picture of Acts. Acts chapter 16, as you look at verses 32, 33, and 34. The Philippian jailer has come to know Christ as his Savior. And tucked away in those verses, it says 
that his family, his household, comes to know Christ as well and follows him in baptism. That's a beautiful picture. That the Philippian jailer accepts Christ. He understands the lordship of Jesus, but somewhere along the way, his family comes to know Christ as well and is baptized. What a beautiful picture. God gives us influences, especially within the family. But let me note this as well. Peter was not just a brother, but I'm going to identify him today also as a co-worker. Because what we're told in Scripture is Andrew and Simon, they were fishermen. They fished together. They came from the same little community, and it was a fishing community in Galilee where they would work together daily. So again, notice how his attention turned naturally to his family member, his brother, and to his co-worker, to that one that he would spend time with every day. Let me ask you, who are you around daily? Who are you around daily? How are you influencing them for the kingdom of God? Now think just a moment. Let's remove ourselves from this sanctuary or from the gathering itself. Let's remove our... Not physically, okay? Don't walk out on me yet. But let's remove ourselves. Let's think about Monday morning, 10 a.m. Where am I? What am I doing? Who are the people around me? Maybe it's within the office. Maybe it's on some production line. Maybe it's as you are tending to somebody that's in need. Maybe as you are teaching in front of a class. There are all kinds of things that we can be a part of on Monday morning at 10 a.m. But I want to ask, who are you around and how are you influencing them for the kingdom? How about your coworkers? How about others that you serve with daily? Those you go to work with? Those you go to school with? Hey, as we're getting ready, we're about to launch football season. Some of you do know that? And already, I mean, think about the university in just a couple, well, I guess it's just about a month, we have the opportunity to beat Mississippi State. Some of you are salivating over that, right? I'm not sure it's appropriate to pray for those kinds of things. I'm tempted. How about those you play football with, students? Those you're on a team with. How are you influencing those individuals that you are with each day for the kingdom of God? You know why? Because God, again, has given you influence. He's given you some type of influence in those settings. And may I say this? I, I need to just say it here. He has given you a greater opportunity than in many ways He's given me or others. I may not have that audience with that football team. I may not have that audience with your workforce, with the office personnel where you are. But you do. 
if we are waiting upon the preacher to be able to just have the influence upon people, we will never reach what God wants us to see in our lives. And let me say, we will never see people come to know Christ like they should. Because ministers, preachers, they should be about the business of the kingdom, using their influence. But I say, many of you have the opportunity daily to touch people's lives that I and other ministers will never see. Andrew went to Simon, his brother, his co-worker. Hey, if you want to break it out, a part of his community. Again, Peter, Andrew, from the town of Bethsaida in Galilee, he went to his community. Now, if you look at John's gospel, something I noted as I studied through this this time is that Andrew is always the disciple bringing people to Jesus. If you look at the other couple of times that he is noted in the Gospel of John, he is bringing people to Jesus. In John chapter 6, verse 8, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, they're looking around to see what they have to eat, and they find this little lad, this little boy, who had, whose mom had packed his lunch for the day, and he brings it and, and he gives it. And, and it is Andrew who brings the little lad to Jesus. He brings him to Jesus. Later on, later on, in John chapter 12, around verse 22 or so, you'll find also where these Greeks come to see Jesus. I, I love the way they frame it. They said, sirs, we would see Jesus. We want to talk to Jesus. We want to see him. And it is Andrew who is a part of this group that brings, he brings these Greeks to Jesus. Andrew always has this, he always has this philosophy of bringing people to Jesus. Perhaps that is the reason some years ago, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association would launch what it called Operation Andrew. Some of you have heard that terminology before. Operation Andrew, before they would have great crusades, before they would have these revival settings, what they would do is they would encourage people to go out, just as Andrew did, find their family members, find their associates, find whoever they could, and to bring them, in a sense, bring them to Jesus. Operation Andrew. Those of the Billy Graham Association would say, look around where you live, Look around where you work. Look around where you go to school and bring them to Jesus. A few weeks ago, I mentioned to you as we were praying for those who were lost to specifically look in certain areas. Do you remember this acrostic I gave you? It's called, actually I borrowed it, by the way, from the good Reverend Fred Luter of New Orleans. He said that you ought to bring your friends to God. Your friends, your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. That you ought to think in those terms, those individuals, those spheres of influence, and that you ought to introduce them to Christ. You know, it's amazing to me when we understand this idea that God gives us influence, 
when we understand it's amazing what God can do in our hearts and in our lives. One of my first churches that I pastored, I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was teaching young adult Sunday school class. And, of course, in that church, young adult kind of, it had a great span. Okay? We only had certain Sunday school classes. I mean, probably, boy, I don't know, in the adult, maybe only five or six or something like that. Thank the Lord, there was one. The young adult finally grew to, this, to where we were able to make three classes out of it. But, but I remember we were trying to reach different ones. And I had this young man who owned a business who um, was very well known in the community. Listen, he had a high school degree. That's all he had. But God had really blessed him, given him great opportunity, given him great influence. And I, I just, God started moving on my heart. And it was like, if I can just, if I can just let Vic see, if he can just see what an opportunity he has, man, we, we could rock this place just with this one guy. And you know what? God got a hold of him. And before I know it, the family members were coming to church. I can't tell you, Leslie, she, she can testify how many we baptized just out of his family. And then all of a sudden, his employees started coming to church. And a lot of them were the young adults that were in my class and it was just continuing to grow. They would think it's because of the preacher teaching that class. I go back to this day and say it was Victor standing up and recognizing the influence he had for the kingdom of God. And thanks be to him, he continues to stand for Christ. We need to look and we need to pray that God would give us even more influence, I think, in these opportunities. Some years ago, some of you probably participated in the study of the scripture, which was entitled, the study was, The Prayer of Jabez. Some of you remember that. It kind of, it's one of those things that takes the church by, as like a phenomenon. It just kind of spreads across the church and you study it. But remember that prayer itself, First Chronicles 4.10. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Listen to the prayer again, that you would enlarge my territory. Sounds so selfish in many ways. God, give me more. But again, when you would have greater territory, it would be the idea of you had greater influence. God, help me to see the influences I have. Help me to be responsible in those influences. And God, give me greater opportunities, greater influence each and every day of my life. God has given us influence. And we can use our influence to advance the gospel and his kingdom. I've already noted, but influence is very powerful. I mean, you can influence people in a very powerful way. And because of that, we have to be responsible. Because I know that we can use our influence to advance the gospel in his kingdom. But even in that statement, I leave open the, the idea that some people can use their influence not to advance the kingdom. They can use their influence in a different type of way. 
There's what I would call negative peer pressure. And there's the positive peer pressure, right? Where are my educators today? There are those things that we influence in a negative way. But there are those things we can bring to influence in a positive way. Let me think just a moment about a negative influence. Perhaps one of the best is found in the scripture. One of these days I'm going to go back and, and preach on that. First Kings chapter 11. I would do it this morning, but you only give me so much time, you know. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe I can preach on it. But First Kings chapter 11, it's really a tragic story of how the wisest king, the wisest man who ever lives, allows ungodly immoral influences to affect him. 1 Kings chapter 11. And it comes from his family. King Solomon. Specifically, from the women in his life. Now, let me read this account just to you very quickly. Beginning in verse 3. Speaking of Solomon, it said, And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Now, I don't know if you just did the math on that. There's something very troubling to me about that. A, th a thousand women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And listen, I grew up in North Mississippi, and every time Brother Holland, my pastor, would speak about this, there was a guy who felt the need to speak out in the service, Mr. Wade. He would always remind us, and I know where I lived, okay? I know the agricultural background. He would always speak out and make sure that he clarified the difference between a concubine and a combine. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but he would speak out to just remind us. There were a thousand women. And this is the tragic part of it. Verse 3. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that the wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. And you can continue on reading about how he would worship other gods. The wisest man to ever live. His heart was turned away. And because of that, not only did his family, but the whole nation suffered the consequences. I say to you, influence is very powerful. And it can be very damaging. Too many folks capitulate to the influences of this world and the things that we see around us. But what I'm encouraging you to do today is to know that the influence that God has given you in that sphere of influence that He has allowed you to enjoy, that He has given that to you for you to steward, for you to use, for you to manage on His behalf for the gospel, just as Andrew did. He calls you, He calls me to use our influences. We recognized some of our educators a moment ago, and I, I think back to my educational 
experience and how so many of the teachers in my life made a difference. The first love of my life, my kindergarten teacher, Miss Black. I love her to this day. She was the first teacher I really knew. And there were so many others who came along the way who impacted me. Mr. Covington, Mr. Davidson, who made a difference in my life as I studied in high school. When I was in college, Dr. Meeks and Dr. Bain in the Bible department helping me set my feet on a firm foundation. Even Dr. Betty, the English chair at Blue Mountain College, who reminded me that Shakespeare would stay with me when Greek fled from me. <laughs> what a difference those people made. At New Orleans Seminary, and I hate to admit this because he'll be here next week, but Dr. Argel Smith, how he encouraged me. When there were days when I wanted to give up, especially in the doctoral program, when he would look at me and he would encourage me, one day specifically, taking me to coffee, knowing that I was down and out, and somehow he just reminded me that you had to just brush it off. And you had to keep going. You see, all of these people have had influences upon me. And you as educators, as we've commissioned you, that is a serious commission today that you have an opportunity to influence individuals in the kingdom of God. I've had people challenge me before and say, well, hey, you know, I, I work in a public school and this and that. Let me say to you, you never leave Jesus at home. God did not intend for us to leave Christ in our home. He intended for us to take Christ out to others. We have the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ came for us to die for us. He rose again. And if we trust and believe in him, listen to me, we have forgiveness in him. We have life. Why would we try to somehow smother that truth in the public arena? Andrew just knew he had to go tell somebody. Listen, I know there are all kinds of restraints out there today, but nothing says that you can't love people in Christ. That you can't live a life of holiness before others. That you don't express the hope of life in your actions each day. And I say to you, we have an influence some of you have heard, perhaps, of one named Edward Kimball. And then, perhaps, many of you probably have never heard of him. His story is related to us in different venues. But I believe Greg Laurie has captured it as accurately as possible. You see, Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman, a Sunday school teacher. And he found himself working with a guy named Dwight. Not our Dwight. It was the 1800s, and I understand how you could probably understand that our Dwight was there. But he was working with a guy named Dwight. Young man, 
approximately 18 years old. And Edward Kimball decided that it was upon his responsibility for him to go one day on a Saturday, I think, and just sit down with young Dwight and share Christ with him. He did so. And young Dwight accepted Christ as his Savior. Many of you have heard of him. Dwight L. Moody. D.L. Moody. Who became one of the greatest evangelists. Well, of course, Dwight L. Moody went around. He was preaching all across our country, really across England itself. And in one of those meetings, a guy named Frederick D. Meyer was there. He was already a pastor from what I understand, but he was challenged to take his crusade nationwide as well. So one day when Myra was preaching, there was a young man named J. Wilbur Chapman who heard the message and responded in faith to Christ, was saved, and of course immediately began to share the gospel. I think you have to if you're saved. You share the gospel. Well, Chapman, he was one of these guys who employed upon him staff a a young baseball player. Some of you may have heard of him. A young guy named Billy Sunday who would preach and became one of the greatest evangelists you could imagine in the 20th century. Oh, he had quite the antics. If you study anything about Billy Sunday, he would sometimes slide into the altar. taking advantage of his old baseball days. One day he preached in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the people were really excited that Billy Sunday had preached. They asked him to come back, but he couldn't. But he had another preacher boy that he decided he would send to preach there in in Charlotte, North Carolina. That young man's name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham went and he preached. Not many responses took place. Not many people came to know Christ. But on the last night or so of the revival, the last few nights of the revival, this tall, lanky guy who worked on a dairy farm made his way down to accept Christ. The local people knew him as Billy Frank. Of course, we know him as Billy Graham. I say to you, It started with one Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball who just decided that this young 18-year-old co-worker needed to know Christ as his Savior. Greg Laurie calls it the power of one. And I say to you that you and I have influence today that we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. Who knows how we can impact generations to come? When God calls us home, when we have our heavenly paradise, which we are excited about and we are thankful for, I want you to consider for a moment what could continue to go on here on this earth as a result of your faithfulness to your testimony to the influence that God has given us. You know, I've studied the history of where it said Andrew went and he, he ministered and how he served. And God used his ministry. But think for a moment how he used the ministry of his brother. 
Simon Peter. The rock. Think about how Andrew goes to bring his brother to Christ. And because of this introduction, invitation, because he brings him, Peter comes to know Jesus as the Christ. And Peter becomes one of the greatest leaders of the church that we will ever see. Let me say to you, we can use it to advance the kingdom, advance the gospel. You can use our influence to advance the kingdom and advance the gospel. And yes, we're accountable in the way we do that. Don't ever forget this. We are accountable in the way we use our influence. All gifts are given to us by God. I said that earlier in this message. And because they're given to us, it means there's some accountability that goes along with it. God has called us to be accountable in the way we use our gifts, especially influence. Don't forget what Jesus said when he was warning those who would lead children the wrong way. He said, anybody that would lead one of these little ones the wrong way, it would, it would be better. Listen to the strong language that Jesus uses. So, so frank and so unlike him according to our contemporary understanding sometimes. Jesus said, for those who would lead young ones the wrong way, it would be better if he had been drowned. That's accountability. James says for those of us who are teachers that we're held to a stricter responsibility. There's accountability the way we use our influence. But folks, how awesome is it that God allows us to participate in His work and to use it in a positive way to see the power of the good news released in other people's lives as we testify of Him. Today we've Recognized our educators, just as I think we should. And they have such a powerful testimony, as I mentioned. But you know, this idea of influence, it's not only set there in the classroom. It is set in the office, on the production line. It is set as you minister, take care of other people in the medical field. Our influence can make a difference wherever we are. You and I, listen, you and I have been placed where we are right now for such a time as this. Will we use those moments? Will we use that setting to make a difference for the kingdom of God? Let's pray together. Father, we praise your name again. We celebrate you. We thank you for giving us the sphere of influences that you have. And God, I pray that we would be faithful just as Andrew, that we would understand the meaning that you are the Christ, that your son is the Christ, the Messiah, that he is the one who has come to give life. And Father, in our understanding of that, that we would take it and declare it to others. Help us to use your influence for good, Help us to use our influence for your good news, the gospel. 
And we pray it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?